The Most Dangerous Game, Adaption Script, by Austin Gatlin. Rainsford had just made it to shore. He heard a sound. It came out of the darkness, a high screaming sound, the sound of an animal in an extremity of anguish and terror. He did not recognize the animal that made the sound. He did not try to. With fresh vitality, he swam toward the sound. He heard it again, and then it was cut short by another noise. Crisp. Stack a toe. Pistol shot, muttered Rainsford, swimming on. Ten minutes of determined effort brought another sound to his ears. The most welcome he had ever heard. The muttering and growling of the sea breaking on the rocky shore. He was almost on the rocks before he saw then. A night less calm, he would have been shattered against them. <clears throat> With his remaining strength, he dragged himself from the swirling waters. Jagged crags appeared to jut up into the opaqueness. He forced himself upward, hand over hand, gasping, his hands raw. He reached a flat place at the top. Dense jungle came down to the very edge of the cliffs. What perilous that tangle of trees and underbrush might hold for him did not concern Rainsford just then. All he knew was that he was safe from the enemy, the sea, and that other wariness was on him. He flung himself down at the jungle edge and tumbled headlong into the deepest sleep of his life. When he opened his eyes, he knew from the position of the sun that it was late in the afternoon. Sleep had given him a new vigor. A sharp hunger was picking at him. He looked about him almost cheerfully. Where there are pistol shots, there are men. Where there are men, there is food, he thought. But what kind of men, he wondered. In so forbidding a place, an unbroken front, front of snarled and jagged jungle fringed the shore. He saw no sign of a trail through the closky knit web of weeds and trees. It was easier to go along the shore, and Rainsford floundered along by the water. Not far from where he landed, he stopped. Some wounded thing, by the evidence a large animal, had thrashed about in the underbrush. The jungle weeds were crushed down and the moss of lacerated. One patch of weeds was stained crimson. A small glittering object not far away caught Rainsford's eye as he picked it up. It was an empty cartridge. A twenty-two, he remarked. That's odd. It must have been a fairly large animal, too. The hunter had his nerve with him to tackle it with a light gun. It's clear the brute put up a fight. I suppose the first three shots I heard was when the hunter flushed his quarry and wounded it. The last shot was when he trailed it here and finished it. He examined the ground closely and found what he had hoped to find. The print of hunting boots. They pointed along the cliff in the direction he had been going. 
Eagerly he hurried along, now slipping on a rotten log or a loose stone, but making headway night was beginning to settle down on the island. Bleak darkness was blacking out the sea and jungle when Rainsford sighted the lights. He came upon them as he turned a crook in the coastline, and his first thought was that he had come upon a village, for there were many lights. But as he forged along, he saw, to his great astonishment, that all the lights were in one enormous building, a lofty structure, which pointed towers plunging upward into the gloom. His eyes made out the shadowy outlines of a palatial chateau. It was set on a high buff, and on three sides of it, cliffs dived down to where the sea licked greedy lips in the shadows. Mirage, thought Rainsford, but it was no mirage. He found when he opened the tall, spiked iron gate. The stone steps were real enough. The massive door, with a luring garly for knocker, was real enough. Yet above it all, hung an air of unreality. He lifted the knocker and it creaked up stiffly, as it had never been used before. He let it fall and it startled him with its booming loudness. He thought he heard steps within, the door remained closed. Again, Rainsford lifted the heavy knocker and let it fall. The door opened then, opened as suddenly as if it were on a spring and Rainsford stood blinking in the river of glaring gold light that poured in. The first thing Rainsford's eyes discreened was the largest man Rainsford had ever seen, a gigantic creature, solidly made and black-bearded to the waist. In his hand, the man held a long-barreled revolver, and he was pointing it straight at Rainsford's heart. Out of the snarl of the beard, two small eyes regulated Rainsford. Don't be alarmed, said Rainsford, with a smile which he hoped was disarming. I'm not a robber. I fell off my yacht. My name is Sanger Rainsford of New York City. And the menacing look in the eyes did not change, the revolver pointing as riggedly as if the giant creature were a statue. He gave no sign that he understood Rainsford's words, or that he had even heard them. He was dressed in the uniform, a black uniform, trimmed with gray ascarian. I am Singer Rainsford of New York, Rainsford began again. I fell off my yacht. I am hungry. The man's only answer was to raise with his thumb the hammer of his revolver. Then Rainsford saw the man's free hand go to his forehead in a military salute, and he saw him click his heels together and stand at attention. Another man was coming down the bored marble steps, an erect, slender man in evening clothes. He advanced to Rainsford and held out his hands, in a cultivated voice marked by a slight accent that gave it added precision and deliberateness. He said, It is... A very great pleasure and honor to welcome Mr. Singer Rainsford, the celebrated hunter, to my home. Automatically, Rainsford shook the man's head. I've read your book about hunting snow leopards in Tibet, you see, explained the man. 
I am General Zoroff. Rainsford's first impression was that the man was singularly handsome. His second was that there was an original, almost bizarre quality about the general's face. He was a tall man, past middle age, for his hair was a vivid white, and his thick eyebrows and pointed military mustache were as black as the night from which Rainsford had come. His eyes, too, were black and very bright. He had high cheekbones, a sharp-cut nose, a spare, dark face, the face of a man used to giving orders, the face of an aristocrat. Turning to the giant in uniform, the general made a sign. The giant put away his pistols, saluted, and withdrew. Ivan is an incredibly strong fellow, remarked the general. But he has the misfortune to be deaf and dumb. A simple fellow, but I'm afraid, like all his race, a bit savage. Is he Russian? asked Rainford. He is Gozak, said the general, and his smile showed red lips and pointed teeth. So am I. Come, he said. We shouldn't be chatting here. We can talk later. Now you want clothes, food, rest. You shall have them. This is a most restful spot. Ivan had reappeared, and the general spoke to him with lips that moved but gave forth no sound. Follow Ivan, if you please, Mr. Rainsford, said the general. I was about to have my dinner when you came. I'll wait for you. You'll find that my clothes will fit you, I think. It was to a huge beam, ceilinged bedroom, with a cannot bed big enough for six men that Rainsford followed the silent giant. Ivan laid out an evening suit, and Rainsford, as he put it on, noticed that it came from a London tailor who ordinarily cut and sewed for none below the rank of Duke. The dining hall to which Ivan conducted him was in many ways remarkable. There was a medieval magnificence about it. It suggested a baronial hall of feudal times, with its oaken panels, its high ceilings, its vast refectory tables, where two score men could sit down to eat. About the hall were mounted heads of many animals, lions, tigers, elephants, moose, bears, larger or more perfect specimens Rainsford had never seen. At the great table, the general was sitting, alone. "'You'll have a cocktail, Rainsford,' he suggested." The cocktail was surprisingly good, and Rainsford noted the table appointments were of the finest, the linen, the crystal, the silver, the china. They're eating borscht, the rich red soup with ripped cream so dear to Russian palates. Half apologetically, General, Rain General Zorov said, We do our best to preserve the amenities of civilization here. Please forgive any lapses. We are well off the beaten track, you know. Do you think the champagne has suffered from its long ocean trip? Not in the least, declared Rainsford. He was finding the general a most thoughtful and affable host, a true cosmopolite. But there was one small trait of the general that made Rainsford uncomfortable. Whenever he looked up from his plate, he found the general studying him appraising him narrowly. 
Perhaps, said General Zoroff, you were surprised that I recognized your name. You see, I read all books on hunting published in English, French, and Russian. I have but one passion in my life, Mr. Rainsford, and that is the hunt. You have some wonderful heads here, said Rainsford, as he ate a particularly well-cooked fillet migonon. That Cape Buffalo is the largest I've ever seen. Oh yes, that fellow. He was a monster. Did he charge you? asked Rainsford. Hurled me against a tree, said the general. Fractured my skull, but I got the brute. I've always thought, said Rainsford, that the Cape Buffalo is the most dangerous of all the big game. For a moment, the general did not reply. He was smiling, his curious red-lipped smile. Then he slowly said, No, you are wrong, sir. The Cape Buffalo is not the most dangerous big game. He sipped his wine. Here, in my preserve, on this island, he said in the same slow tone, I hunt more dangerous game. Rainsford expressed his surprise. Is there a big game on this island? The general and I nodded. The biggest. Really? asked Rainsford. Oh, it isn't here naturally, of course. I have to stock the island. What have you imported, General? Rainsford asked. Tigers? The general smiled. No, he said. Hunting tigers ceased to invest me some years ago. I exhausted their possibilities, you see. No thrill left in tigers. No real damage. I live for danger, Mr. Rainsford. The general took from his pocket a gold cigarette case and offered his guest a long black cigarette with a silver tip. It was perfumed and gave off a smell like incense. We will have some capital hunting, you and I, said the general. I shall be most glad to have your society. But what game? began Rainsford. I'll tell you, said the general. You will be amused, I know. I think I may say in all modesty that I have done a rare thing. I have invented a new sensation. May I pour you another glass of port? Thank you, General, proclaimed Rainsford. The General filled both glasses and said, God makes some men poets, some he makes kings, some beggars. Me, he made a hunter. My hand was made for the trigger, my father said. He was a very rich man with a quarter of a million acres in the Crimea, and he was an ardent sportsman. When I was only five years old, he gave me a little gun, specially made in Moscow for me, to shoot sparrows with. When I shot some of his prized turkeys with it, he did not punish me. He complimented me on my marksmanship. I killed my first bear in the Caucasus when I was ten. My whole life has been one prolonged hunt. I went into the army. It was expected of noblemen's sons, and for a time of command, a division of Kozak cavalry. But my real interest was always the hunt. I have hunted every kind of game in every land. 
it would be impossible for me to tell you how many animals I have killed. The general puffed at his cigarette. After the debacle in Russia had left the country, for it was imprudent for an officer of the Khazar to stay there. Many noble Russians lost everything. I, luckily, had invested heavily in American securities, so I shall never have to open a tea room in Monte Carlo or drive a taxi in Paris. Naturally, I continued to hunt. Grizzliest in your Rockies, crocodiles in the Ganges, rhinoceroses in East Africa. I was in Africa, and that, that Cape Buffalo hit me and laid me up for six months. As soon as I recovered, I started for the Amazon to hunt jaguars, for I had heard they were unusually cunning. They weren't. The Kozak side. They were no match at all for a hunter with his wits about him and a powerful rifle. I was bitterly disappointed. I was laying in my tent when it, with a splitting headache. One might, when a terrible thought pushed its way into my mind. Hunting was becoming a bore to me. And hunting, remember, had been my life. I have heard that an American businessman often go to pieces when they give up the business that has been their life. Yes, that's so, said Rainsford. The general smiled. I had no wishes to go to pieces, he said. I must do something. Now mine is an analytical mind, Mr. Rainsford. Dallas, that is why I enjoy the problems of the chase. No doubt, General Zorov, said Rainsford. So, continued Rainsford, I asked myself why the hunt is no longer fascinating to me. You're much younger than I am, Mr. Rainsford, and have not hunted as much, but perhaps you can guess the answer. What is it? asked Rainsford. Simply this. Hunting had ceased to be what you call a sporting proposition. It had become too easy. I always got my quarry. Always. There's no greater bore than perfection. The general lit a fresh cigarette. No animal had a chance with me anymore. That is not up to boast. It is mathematical of certainty. The animal had nothing but his legs, and his instinct, instinct, is no match for reason. When I thought of this, it was a tragic moment for me, I can tell you. Rainsford leaned across the table, observed in what was this host saying. It came to me as an inspiration what I must do, the general went on. And that was... The general smiled, the quiet smile of one who has faced an obstacle and surmounted it with, su with success. I had to invent a new animal to hunt, he said. He said, A new animal? You're joking. Not that I, said the general. I never joke about hunting. I needed a new animal. I found one. So I bought this island, built this house, and here I do my hunting. This island is perfect for my purposes. There are jungles with a maze of traits in them. Hills, swamps. But the animal, General Zorov. Well, said the general, it supplies me with the most exciting hunting in the world. 
No other hunting compares with it for an instant. Every day I hunt, and I never grow bored now, for I have a quarry with which I can match my wits. Rainsford bewilderment showed in his face. I wanted the idea animal to hunt, explained the general. So I said, what are the attributes of an idea quarry? And the answer was, of course, it must have courage, cunning, and above all, it must have the ability to reason. No animal can reason, objected Rainsford. My dear fellow, said the general, there is one that can. But you cannot mean, <gasps> gasped Rainsford. And why not? Proclaimed General Zoroff. I cannot believe you are serious, General Zoroff. This is a grisly joke. Why should I not be serious? I am speaking of hunting, said General Zoroff. Hunting? Great guns, General Zoroff. What you speak of is murder, <sighs> said Rainsford. The general laughed with entire good nature. He regarded Rainsford quizzically. I refuse to believe that so modern and civilized a young man as you seem to be harbors romantic ideas about the value of human life. Surely your experiences in the war did, you, did not make me condone cold-blooded murder, finished Rainsford stiffly. <laughs> Laughter shook the general. How extraordinary droll are you, he said. One does not expect nowadays to find a young man of the educated class, even in America, with such a naive, and if I may say so, mid-Victorian point of view. It's like finding a snuff-box in a limousine. Ah, well doubtless you had Puritan ancestors. So many Americans appear to have had. I'll wager you'll forget your notions when you go hunting with me. You've a genuine new thrill in store for you, Mr. Rainsford. Thank you. But I'm a hunter, not a murderer. Dear me, said the general, said the general, quite unruffled. Again, that unpleasant word. But I think I can show you that your scruples are quite ill-founded. Yeah? Said Rainsford. Life is, to, life is for the strong, to be lived by the strong, and, if needs to be, taken by the strong. The weak of the world were put here to give the strong pleasure. I am strong. Why should I not use my gift? If I wish to hunt, why should I not hunt? I hunt the scum of the earth. Sailors from tramp ships, lazars, blacks, Chinese, whites, mongrels. A thoroughbred horse or a hound is worth more than a score of them. But they are men! Rainsford profounded wholly. Precisely, said the general. That is why I use them. It gives me pleasure. They can reason, after a fashion. So they are dangerous. But where do you get them? Asked Rainsford. The general's left eyelid fluttered down in a week. This island is called Ship Trap, he answered. Sometimes an angry god of the high seas sends, me, sends them to me. Sometimes, when Providence is not so kind, I help Providence a bit. Come to the window with me. Rainsford went to the window and looked out towards the sea. Watch! Out there! exclaimed the general, pointing into the night. Rainsford's eyes 
saw only blackness, and then, as the general pressed a button far, far out to the sea, Rainsford saw the flash of lights. The general chuckled. <laughs> they indicate the channel, he said, where there's none. Giant rocks with razor edges crouch like a sea monster with wide open jaws. They can crush a ship as easily as I can crush this nut. He dropped the walnut on the hardwood floor and brought his heel grinding on it. <laughs> oh, yes, he said. Usually, as if in answer to a question, I have electricity. We try to be civilized here. Civilized? And you shoot down men? The trace of anger was in the general's black eyes. But it was there for but a second, and he said, in his most pleasant manner, Dear me, what a righteous young man you are. I assure you, I do not do the thing you suggest. That would be barbarous. I treat these visitors with every consideration. They get plenty of good food and exercise. They get into splendid physical condition. You shall see for yourself tomorrow. What do you mean? We'll visit my training school, smiled the general. It's in the cellar. I have about a dozen pupils down there now. They're from the Spanish bark, San Lucer, that had the bad luck to go on the rocks out there. A very inferior lot, I regret to say. Poor specimens, and more accustomed to the deck than to the jungle. He raised his hand, and Ivan, who served as a waiter, brought thick Turkish coffee. Rainsford, with an effort, held his tongue in check. It's a game, you see, pursued the general blandly. I suggest to one of them that we go hunting. I give him a supply of food and an excellent hunting knife. I give him three hours start. I am to follow armed with a pistol of the smallest caliber and range. If my quarry eludes me for three whole days, he wins the game. If I find him, the general smiled, he loses. Suppose he refuses to be hunted? Oh, said the general. I give him his option, of course. He need not play the game if he doesn't wish to. If he does not wish to hunt, I turn, in, I turn him over to Ivan. Ivan once had the honor of serving as official continenter to the great white Khazar, and he his own ideas of sport. Invariably, Mr. Rainsford, Invariably, they choose the hunt. And if they win? The smile on the general's face widened. To this date, I have not lost, he said. Then he added hastily, I do not wish you think me a braggart, Mr. Rainsford. Many of, many of them afford the only the most elementary sort of problem. Occasionally, I strike a tatar. One almost did win. I eventually had to use the dogs. The dogs? This way, please. I'll show you. The general steered Rainsford to a window. The lights from the window sent a flickering illumination that made gross patterns on the courtyard below. And Rainsford could see moving about there was a dozen or so huge black shapes. As they turned towards him, their eyes glittered greenly. A rather good lot, I think, 
observe the general. They are let out at 7 every night. If anyone should try to get into my house or out of it, something extremely regrettable would occur to him. He humbled a, he hummed a snatch of son from the Foley's burglary. And now, said the general, I want to show you my new collection of heads. Will you come with me to the library? I hope, said Rainsford. You'll excuse me tonight, General Zoroff. I'm really not feeling that well. Ah, indeed, said the general, inquired solicitously. Well, I suppose that's only natural after you learn to swim. You need a good, restful night's sleep. Tomorrow, you'll feel like a new man, I'll wager. Then we'll hunt, eh? I've one rather promising prospect. Rainsford was hurrying from the room. Sorry you can't go with me tonight, called the general. I expect rather fair sport. A big, strong black. He looks resourceful. Well, good night, Mr. Rainsford. I hope you have a good night's rest. The bed was good, and the pajamas of the softest silk, and he was tired in every fiber of his being. But nevertheless, Rainsford could not quite his brain with the opiate of sleep. He lay, eyes wide open, once, the, once he thought he heard stealthy steps in the corridor outside his room. He sought to throw open the door. It would not open. He went to the window and looked out. His room was high up on in one of the towers. The lights of the chateau were out now, and it was dark and silent. But there was a fragment of sallow moon, and by its wan light he could see, dimly, the courtyard. There, weaving in and out in the pattern of shadow or black eyes, or black, noiseless forms. The hounds heard him at the window and looked up, expectantly with their green eyes. Rainsford went back to bed and lay down. By many methods, he tried to put himself to sleep. He had achieved a doze. When just as morning began to come, he heard far off in the jungle a faint report of a pistol. General Zoroff did not appear until luncheon. He was dressed faultlessly in the tweeds of a country squire. He was solicitously solicitous about the state of Rainsford's health. It is for me, sighed the general. I do not feel so well. I am worried, Mr. Rainsford. Last night I detected traces of my old complaint. To Rainsford's questioning glance, the general said, Uni boredom. Then taking a second to help the crepes, Suzuta, the general explained, The hunting was not good last night. The fellow lost his head. He made a straight trail that offered no problems at all. That's the trouble with these sailors. They have dull brains to begin with, and they do not know how to get about in the woods. They do exclusively stupid and obvious things. It's most annoying. Will you have another glass of Shabdis, Mr. Rainsford?
General, said Rainsford firmly. I wish to leave this island at once. The general raised his thickets of eyebrows. He seemed hurt. But dear fellow, the general protested. You've only just come. You've had no hunting. I wish to go today, said Rainsford. He saw the dead black eyes of the general on him, studying him. General Zorro's face suddenly brightened. He filled Rainsford's glass with venerable shabbos from a dusty bottle. Tonight, said the general, we will hunt, you and I. Rainsford shook his head. No, general, I will not hunt. The general shrugged his shoulders and delicately ate the hothouse grape. As you wish, my friend, he said. The choice rests entirely with you. But may I not venture to suggest that you will find my idea of sport more diverting than Ivan's. He nodded toward the corner where the giant stood, scowling, his thick arms crossed on his hug's stead of chest. You know mean, cried Rainsford. My dear fellow, said the general, have I not told you I always mean what I say about hunting? This is really an inspiration. I drink to a farm worthy of my steel at last. The general raised his glass, but Rainsford sat staring at him. You'll find this game worth playing, the general said enthusiastically. Your brain against mine, your woodcraft against mine, your strength and stamina against mine. Outdoor chess and the stake is not without value, eh? If I win, began Rainsford huskily, I'll cheerily acknowledge myself defeat if I do not find you by midnight of the third day said the general, Zoroff. My sloop will place you on the mainland near a town. The general read what Rainsford was thinking. Oh, you can trust me, said the Kozak. I will give you my word as a gentleman and a sportsman, of course, in turn. You must agree to say nothing of your visit here. I'll agree to nothing of the kind, said Rainsford. Well, said the general, in that case. But why discuss that now? Three days hence we can discuss it over a bottle of Vinvicloat, unless the general slipped his wine. Then the businesslike air animated him. Ivan, he said to Rainsford. I'll supply you with hunting clothes, food, a knife. I suggest wear moccasins. They leave a proper tra they leave a proper trail. I suggest too that you avoid the big swamp in the southeast corner of the island. We call it Death Swamp. There's quicksand there. One foolish fellow tried it. The deplorable part of it was that the Lazarus followed him. You can imagine my feelings, Mr. Rainsford. I love Lazarus. He was the finest hound in my pack. Well, I must beg you to excuse me now. I always take a siesta after lunch. You'll hardly have time for a nap, I fear. You'll want to start, no doubt. I shall not follow till dusk. Hunting at night is so much more exciting than by day, don't you think? Au revoir, Mr. Rainsford. Au revoir.
General Saroff, with a deep, corally bow, strolled from the room. From another door came Ivan. Under one arm he carried khaki hunting clothes, a haversack, a food, a leather sheath containing a long blade hunting knife. His right hand had rest and, and rested on the cocked revolver thrust in the crimson sash about his waist. Rainsford had fought his way through the bush for two hours. I must keep my nerve. I must keep my nerve. He said through his tight teeth. He had not been entirely clear-headed when the chateau gates snapped shut behind him. His whole idea at first was to put distance between himself and General Zoroff, and to the end he had plunged along, spurred on by the sharp rowers of something very like panic. Now he had got a grip on himself and stopped, and was taking stock of himself in the situation. He saw that straight flight was futile, inevitable. It would bring him face to face with the sea. He was in a picture with a frame of water, and his operations clearly must take place within that frame. I'll give him a trail for him to follow, muttered Rainsford, and he struck off from the rude path he had been following into the trackless wilderness. He executed a series of inactions intricate loops. He doubled on his trail again and again, recalling all the love from the fox hunt and all the dodges of the fox. Night found him like weary with hands and face lashed by the branches on a thickly wooded ridge. He knew it would be insane to blunder on through the dark, even he had the strength. His need for us was imperative, and he thought, I have played I have played the fox, now I must play the cat of the fable. A big tree with a thick trunk and outspread branches was nearby, and taking care to leave not the slightest mark. He climbed up in the crouch, and stretching out on one of the broad limbs, after a fashion rested. Rest brought him a new confidence and almost a feeling of security. Even so zealous a hunter as General Zoroff could not trace him there. He told himself only the devil himself could follow that complicated trail through the jungle after dark. But perhaps the general was a devil. An oppressive light crawled slowly by like a thick wounded snake, and sleep did not visit Rainsford, although the silence of a dead world was on the jungle. Toward morning, when a dingy gray was varnishing from the sky, the cry of some startled bird focused Rainsford's attention in that direction. Something was coming through the bush, bush, coming slowly, carefully, coming by the same winding way Rainsford had come. He flattened himself down on the limb and through a screen of leaves almost as thick as tapestry he watched. That which was approving, as it was a man. It was General Zoroff. He made his way along, with his eyes fixed in utmost concentration on the ground before him. He paused, almost beneath the tree, dropped to his knees, and studied the ground. Rainsford's impulse was to hurl himself down like a panther, but he saw that the General's right hand held something metallic, a small automatic pistol. 
The hunter shook his hand, head several times as if he were puzzled. Then he straightened up and took from his case one of his black cigarettes. It punched it and such-like smoke floated up to Rainsford's nostrils. Rainsford held his breath. The Juno's eyes had left the ground and were traveling inch by inch up the tree. Rainsford froze there. Every muscle tensed for spring. But the sharp eyes of the hunter stopped before they reached the limb where Rainsford lay. A smile spread over his brown face. Very deliberately, he blew a smoke ring into the air. And that's when Rainsford threw his knife down, striking General Zara square in the center mass of the chest. That better have killed that bastard. Rainsford jumped down from the tree to check General Zora's pulse. He's dead, all right. Now, how do I get off this island? Just as he that loud, just as he said that, a loud noise goes off, and Rainsford feels a zip of wind fly by his face. What the? Someone's shooting at me. I'm out of here. Rainsford heads for the water. Okay, as long as I head straight for the water, don't trip or don't get caught, and quick set. Oh no. Rainsford could feel the ground capturing and pulling him in. The softness of it was just sinking. He is trapped. Ah, a stick. Maybe I can leverage myself out. But just as Rainsford began to dig, he was struck in the head by a bullet. No one cares the general and lives, says Ivan. Get the boat ready, he ordered the Kozak. We are leaving. I'm stared off into the view of the island jungle. Rainsford's body was a bit out of sight without the scope, but Ivan knew it was just him and the Kozak left. The boat is ready, said the Kozak. Splendid. We shall be on our way.